Do you love the pasty tapes? Do you want to keep the quality high and the content juicy? Then sponsor this podcast. Visit thepastytapes.com for more information. Special thanks to fan, friend, and superfan BFF level members of the Pasty Tapes fan club. For exclusive content, merch, and more, join the Pasty Tapes fan club by visiting our website. Oh, hello! This is Blanche Debris, and you're listening to The Pasty Tapes, a burlesque podcast by Show My More, the steamiest Asian dumpling. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Pasty Tapes. I am your host, Show My More, the steamiest Asian dumpling, recording live today from my closet in Chicago. Thank you again for your patience and for bearing with me while we had an unexpected mini break between the last episode featuring Judith Stein and today's episode. I was managing a family emergency. It kind of threw off, you know, a lot of what I had planned for January, but things are coming back together. Thank you again for your support. Thank you everyone who sent some love and some nice messages. I really, really appreciated it. Okay, let's keep this gratitude train going. I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Honestly, sincerely, truly, thank you to everyone who nominated me for 21st Century Burlesque's Top 50 of 2019. To be on this list, to be ranked the number four most influential burlesque performer of 2019 is a total shock, surprise, a humbling experience. Like, I'm completely, completely honored. I'm so grateful to have made your personal ballot and then to be on this list with so many people that I look up to is just something I've never imagined. And I am so grateful. Thank you again. Thank you. Uh, I found out after I was in a doctor's appointment in a building that had no signal, and I got a text from Jeez Louise that said, bitch, did you see? And I was like, what are you talking about? And then in the middle of a conversation with a coworker, I screamed, and then I said, oh my god, holy shit. And then I started crying, and then I ran out the hallway to call G's, and my poor coworker was very confused. And yeah, wow. Thank you. I am completely humbled. I am smiling from ear to ear right now. And wow, what a surprise. Okay, now I'm like rambling. But what I really want to say is thank you for seeing me. Thank you for supporting me. And book fat performers, book POC performers, book fat POC performers. We're out here. We're doing the thing. Burlesque, our stages, our audiences, our art will be so much better the more diverse it is. So let's do the thing. Thank you again. Thank you. I am completely humbled and honored by this. Thank you. Okay, let's jump into today's episode. My guest is a performer who shares my affinity for the color orange. I first saw her perform at the Nashville Burlesque Festival in 2018. I remember chandeliers telling me, oh, you would really like her. Like, you should you should totally meet her. And she, you know, performs in books in the Midwest. So this is someone you should know. And I got scared and chickened out and just did not, uh, even though I sent her a Facebook message before the festival telling her that I'm looking forward to meeting her. And then when the time came, I just didn't. So I met her eventually a few months after that, and we've done a number of shows together in a number of cities, and she's a pure delight. She is so fun. She is so Midwest to me. I don't know what that means exactly, but when I think about like nice Midwest people, I think about her. Um, she's 
wonderful. This performer has toured extensively across the United States, throughout Europe, and across Australia. In 2015, she co-founded Luxotica Lounge Cabaret, which is an internationally touring tropical cocktail of showbiz delights. The flame-haired whirlwind with the electric grin. This is my conversation with Vivacious Miss Audacious. Vivacious Miss Audacious, I am so excited to chat with you today on the Pasty Tapes. We have had such a beautiful weekend together and it is only halfway through. Oh my goodness. Your home is so lovely and comfortable and I'm currently on your futon and we're chatting. Hi. 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 Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be here in my home talking to you. Yes. (laughs) Tell me your burlesque origin story. Oh my gosh, it's a little bit of a whirlwind. Um... So my burlesque origin story is I got started by way of the underground poetry slam scene what? in Grand Rapids, Michigan. <laughs> poetry slam scene. Okay. Yes. So um, I'll, around when I was, you know, 18, 19, I started doing these poetry events every Monday. And by way of that, you get together every week with all these weirdo tortured artist types and bear your souls for better or good. And you start to get to know each other and collaborate. And through that, I started to collaborate with a bunch of other weirdo artists. And that led to some pretty wild underground neo-burlesque antics. And here I am. <laughs> and here you are. Okay. How long ago was that? How long have you been doing burlesque? Um, Well, that was, so the first show that I was a part of was in 2005, and for that very first show, it was run somewhat in a theatrical way where there was a three or four night run, Um, and I actually was the stage manager, and I had a wonderful time, and it was very wild. There was buckets of actual blood and guts. Um, It was a Halloween-themed show. It was very wild. It was so fun. Costumes made out of tissue paper, the whole nine yards, Um, and once we entered 2006, that evolved into a different type of show. And that's when I did my first actual burlesque striptease. So, and they were very sad to see my stage management self go because apparently I was good at it, but I was ready to, um, you know, rock out and try some performing. Um, yeah. And then the rest is history. Um, so it's been quite a journey and a lot of things have shifted and evolved and changed. And I don't know, it's, it was, it's been a pretty cool life. Yes, I think so. Okay, so I know you as a hooping, burlesque, rock and roll kind of chick. And I first saw you perform at the Nashville Burlesque Festival last year. We've had many wonderful interactions over the past year, especially over our love of Orange and all of those things. When did you start hooping and how did that get incorporated into your burlesque art? Yeah, it's a really interesting story because the hooping is a really big part of who I am and what I do and my my job um, and really enables me to be a full-time performer. Um, and hooping pretty much grew in tandem with my burlesque performances. And interestingly enough, if you look at the history of burlesque and cir- modern circus performances outside of Cirque du Soleil and those kind of upper level um, types of performers and performances, um, you see a lot of that similar trajectory of them growing at the same time and overlapping. So today in burlesque, you see so many people doing burlesque and, which is often circus skills and things like that. Um, but I've been hooping my entire life ever since I was a little tiny kid and I have the photos to prove it. Um, I was always good at it and um, 
there used to be this retro 1950s diner called Flip's Cafe. And uh, I would do these hula hoop contests and I would always win and you'd get a free ice cream sundae, wow. which is a great incentive, <laughs> you know? Um, so I guess that you can attribute it all to my love of ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> um, but when I started doing burlesque performances, um, it's very interesting because at that time when that came into my life, unexpectedly, I was in a very androgynous phase. I didn't wear makeup. Um, I didn't practice body hair removal. Um, and I was very much not tapped into kind of the more sensual side of being a woman. So when I started performing, I thought, well, I don't know. I need to find a way to uh, exhibit this sort of sexual identity that you see portrayed in burlesque so often. I had uh, this act with this really crappy party store grass skirt. It was just, the act was terrible. But inside the grass skirt, it had this little pamphlet. And the pamphlet said, how to hula dance. And here I was thinking, well, that involves some sassy hip movement, right? And But the little pamphlet, it literally just had footsteps. And as I know a little bit about types of movement like that, it's more about your hips and your legs and not where you're putting your feet, you know? Right. But the funny thing is, so I found this little pamphlet and I thought, oh, well, I don't know. Maybe that's a way to learn how to move my hips in a way that's more sensual and sort of tap into that. Maybe that's will help me. That year, my dad, I saw my dad one day and he was like, oh my gosh, there's this brand new website. It's really cool. It's called YouTube. Let me write down the URL. (laughs) So if you can imagine the beginnings of YouTube, which is nearly impossible to comprehend, right? And I was like, oh, cool. I'll check it out sometime. So I thought, oh, well, let me look at this new website and maybe there's a tutorial, right? And if you can imagine, there was literally nothing to do about hula dancing in any way, shape, or form, which of course I'm sure today I imagine that there's many. But I discovered Hoopalicious, who is considered the godmother of the modern hula hoop movement, and it was a performance of hers in America's Got Talent, and I think probably an earlier edition, I imagine. I thought, oh my god, that is my destiny. I am meant to do that. Wow. And so that was like, if it weren't for this like crappy party store thing with this little pamphlet and these footsteps and YouTube you know, who knows, but uh, that just literally set me on that trajectory. And so immediately, I'd say my second actual striptease that I ever performed was with a hula hoop. Yeah. And then I just kind of continued on hoop in hand. And yeah, (laughs) here we are rolling through. (laughs) Right, right. Okay, that's, that's so exciting. So you've been doing burlesque, burlesque and hoop, right, for almost a decade and a half now. Mm hmm. Tell me about how the landscape, how the scene, how have things changed uh, from back when you were starting to now? Well, you know, I think that's such an interesting question and I think such a cool thing to consider because the landscape of burlesque has changed so dramatically. And I think about my own origin story in the early days of us doing this kind of wild, naked performance art where we weren't trying to be professional anything. We were expressing ourselves in this way, and it was more about this wild art versus what people conceive of burlesque today. And it's interesting because uh, a while back at BurleyCon, Miss Bonnie Dunn um, did this amazing lecture and was talking about the early days of New York burlesque. And I identified with it so closely because it really reminded me of myself in our early days in the very early 2000s where we were just doing wild, crazy art. Right. And just it, it wasn't about this other thing. And so the cool thing is it really gave us opportunities to express ourselves and take a lot of risks. 
And I feel really grateful that I was able to probably be pretty crappy on stage for a long time without even thinking about it too much, right? We just get to go and play and do a weird thing without this judgment. So one thing to consider is that lens of today's burlesque. If you're aware of the scene, usually you become quickly aware of the whole history of it. We have the internet at our fingertips. You know, of course, YouTube is now (laughs) filled with uh, burlesque of uh, now and from, you know, back in the day. You know, people know about something weird in the old videos there. And there's so many books out now. And so on one hand, we have all these amazing resources available to us. And I think is really incredible. And then you see all kinds of different things come into play. Like Joe Weldon was talking the other day about, um, you know, old pasties, you know, it's not, it hasn't been that long that they're uh, kind of the status quo is to have them heavily encrusted in rhinestones. You know, right. you just have a little sequence on a string and you kind of hot glue them and that was that. You know, and now you're like rhinestone upon rhinestone, you know, and then you can have your authentic burlesque pasty. So I think in some ways we have this framework that we walk into now where we're able to have a lot of information that can be really helpful. But then I think in another way that sets us up for this whole other thing where, and you and I have been talking about this a lot because we've been talking nonstop uh, so far in Michigan and, you know, talking about the ideas of diving into burlesque and what it means, you know, to be a seasoned performer, to be a newer performer, something in between. And I think that, I don't know, one of the big, big changes is that um, there's a lot to compare yourself to, you know, and a lot to think of, oh, well, maybe you're going to style yourself off of this aesthetic or maybe even feel like you have to. Like there's a lot of rules that are set up And I think burlesque at its core is about rule breaking and being a renegade. And I think that sometimes as our community is growing and changing, that gets lost. That idea that we're here to be badass rule breakers, you know, and it doesn't, you know, we don't have to follow a, a rule of how many rhinestones you may have or a certain aesthetic or whatever that may be. Beyond that, you know, I think aside from those considerations, I also see the way burlesque has shifted and changed in that... It's exploded in options. So you think of kind of the early days of neo-burlesque where there's weirdo, crazy underground performance art that's very naked. There's folks that are aware of the burlesque stars of yore, often more of like a 1950s or sometimes older, and are maybe emulating that, these kind of different trajectories. There was also this conception of neo being such a specific thing. Like, okay, well, here's throwback burlesque, here's neo-burlesque. But today I think that it's all a major blend you know, when we talk about classic, but there, I feel like there's less of a distinction. I don't see people talking as much about like, oh, well, that's Neo because it's like, well, no, are you doing horror burlesque? Are you doing nerdlesque? Are you doing like really beautiful, like parade and peel classic? Are you doing skill-based? Um, you know, now we see so much more types of club movements being infused in a lot of burlesque performances, which I think is incredible. And in many ways brings us to our roots of the actual nature of early burlesque as exotic dancers of certain eras. Um, So yeah, of course it's changed so much um, and it's been really fun to watch and be a part of that. I think that in many ways it's positive that it's open to a wider audience and it's still not mainstream and it probably never will be because it's about um, this very kind of often femme-centered art form and about nudity, you know, and we see drag exploding in such a mainstream way, which is so amazing and wonderful. And the other day, someone was talking online about that kind of issue of like, oh, well, could, say, burlesque be what drag race is? You know, and probably never. You don't think so? I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure, but I think that because it's all about getting naked. Right. You know? Right. I mean, that's what I think. You can't. There's, that, there's uh, other things. TV but, too yeah. much. 
But really, at the end of the day, we're getting naked or nearly naked, you know, right. legally naked. <laughs> legally naked. Yeah. Okay. Let's like step back a little bit. You mentioned, and we, when we talked about this, especially me as a newer performer, right? I had the opportunity to look at all the performers out there and be like, well, I want to be a blend of this person and this person. Like, Show My More is going to be the whatever so-and-so, like, love child of these, like, eight performers. Right. Right? And I think you've mentioned that you have some students who, like, think that way, too, and, and all that, which is great. Like, I'm very fortunate to have all of these people who came before me to model myself after. Like, what was that like for you not having that? How did you... I guess, find yourself and your style in burlesque at a time where you may not have had that menu of people to choose from. Right. You know, that's a really interesting question. I think, well, something that's fun and that I think about about my trajectory is I don't think, yeah, I didn't really have a space where I was modeling myself after anything. We were just doing a thing. And I always use weirdo performance art, but yeah, we're like, okay, let's just go out there and do a show. And I think that my experience, you know, is similar. I mean, people can still have this experience today, but we were doing it, but without a sense of greater history at first, you know, and then as time went on and I was like, wait, this is my life's passion and purpose. Um, and this is the thing that makes me happy. Um, and perhaps saved my life. Who knows? I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. But that, um, then you then I educated myself and I was like, oh, let's learn all the things about the history of burlesque and I'm so obsessed with it. But um but yeah, in those early days I was just kind of going forth without a plan, just having fun. So with that being said, at least my path was, you know, in a lot of my early acts tended to be a little bit more cutesy, or we were talking earlier about, you know, the earlier hooping where at first I never put the hula hoop down. So I had all these awful outfits where I had to pull them out off over my head <laughs> and like one little strand of sequins on a string and it was like a tank top. <laughs> right, right. And uh, I'm, I'm getting ready to move across the country and I've been going through old stores of costumes and some things are pretty wild. I thought, oh my goodness, this is a costume? I'm not sure. Um, what is this thing that I wore? Um, I think, of, gosh, as we're talking about it, I think even my own trajectory of exploring my feminine side, my womanhood, my power as a woman, uh, my independence. So, you know, I had a number of acts where it's, you know, which are so awful, but it's like, oh, you know, I'm some cute lady and I need something. I want something. Oh, I'm going to take off my clothes and then I can get what I want. You know what right. I mean? I can't think of any specific examples of, um, but I know that I had a few acts like that where, uh, you know, it was kind of this coy sort of um, attention getting motive for why I was disrobing as far as the storyline, which is very weak. And, you know, today I feel very differently about that idea. Um, but as I moved forward and got more confident, that really evolved. So like a big, I don't know, a changing point was when I, it occurred to me that I could set my hula hoop down and then take a piece of clothing off. Yeah. <laughs> which was yeah. very scary. Uh, because that prop became a crutch. And even though at the time I would do group numbers and, and work with um, other acts or skit-based acts and things like that, my solos were always just me hula hooping and taking clothes off while I was doing that. Um, so, you know, once I set my hoop down, that opened up the ability to do all kinds of other things. And it just kind of continued to evolve. And I just continued to explore things that I was interested in. So today... I love exploring all elements of burlesque, and I've worked with all of them pretty extensively. I don't really do much nerdlesque, um, but outside of that, you know, whether it's dark and moody, or I'm very much known for colorful, um, but I 
do have a wider range of things or even more kind of classic speakeasy based or like these days I'm just obsessed with doing like really strippery, naughty audience interaction type things. And I have so much fun with it. And it's about being fierce and powerful and really exploring the ownership of my sexuality and my agency as a woman um, or a human being, honestly, um, and celebrating our body in a really healthy, beautiful way, even if it's kind of naughty and creating moments of excitement. So I know I'm going on a wild tangent here, but I think that I don't know. I just kept going and all of it fell into place and I expanded as time went on. And so I think that when I talk to people who are starting out, I often think about, well, just do the thing that speaks to you the most to start with Mm -hmm. because the rest will come. And if you do have a desire to maybe work in a variety of genres, you know, by all means, please do so because... It's really fun and gives you a lot of extra opportunities and you can explore different sides of yourself, but that I don't think that worrying about having a really diverse repertoire right away is something to concern yourself with, you know, say, okay, what's the thing? Or like, I think of your aesthetic, which is so defined and you know very much the thing that you want to do right now. Right. It doesn't mean that show my as an evolved entertainer, you know, 10 years down the line is going to, you know, you'll probably have all these different things that you want to do that you love and enjoy, you know, or even with hula hooping, the acts that I bring to big events are always a hoop act. But in my like week to week burlesque performances, I honestly don't do as much hooping with that. It's all these other things. Right. You know, um, I think last night when we did the live band show, which was great, mm-hmm. that was an incredible band. Uh, it was a great time. I think that was the first time I saw you perform without a hoop, which makes sense because we've been mostly together at festival settings or big show kind of setting things. And you are so powerful as a performer and so like sensual and confident and like you are there, like you show the fuck up. And even when you do have the hoop, like such a mastery of that prop, that skill and I know this was not intentional, but at the Show Me Burlesque Festival, you had a moment where you whipped it out to the audience and thankfully no one got hurt, (laughs) but it was so magical and so like, holy shit, like this is, this is a performer to watch. Like you never know what's going to happen, but whatever it is, it's going to be wild and entertaining and fun. And whether that is you dressed in bright orange or you in all black with a leather mini pencil skirt situation, like. So, so good. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. Oh, it's oh, true. You're oh, so true. kind. So kind. Well, and I think, you know, what lovely words to hear. And I think that as you're, you know, talking about your experience of, I guess, watching the things that I do, it reminds me of my biggest passion when it comes to burlesque and performance is about the energy exchange between the audience. That's something that I care about so, so much. And, um, and I love that interactive element, whether it's visually with eye contact or, and I love scenarios where I can be up close and personal with the audience, Mm -hmm. but if they're further away, I still like to connect with them. And, you know, I've played plenty of big stages where the audience is at a distance and the fancy stage lighting are such that it's just darkness out there. Right. Right. And I like that the least because I want to look someone in the eye, you know, and have that moment And I think that when we have these conversations about what burlesque is or what we're doing as entertainers or even these questions of like a lot of people like to talk about when you're performing on stage that it shouldn't be your therapy. And obviously for all of us, 
burlesque is really powerful and important and life-changing, transformative. And so it's an interesting question to dive into. And of course, us going out there and doing the thing and disrobing on stage does affect these elements of ourselves that might be growing or shifting or changing or vulnerable. I think at the end of the day, you know, we're out there performing for a paying audience, usually, not always. Um, and our job is to entertain them. Right. So even though we have total agency, generally, over what we're putting on that stage, and in many ways, we can make the art that we want to see in the world, um, there's still the factor that we're there to serve the audience. And their experience is really important, too. And I don't mean that in the sense of, oh, we need to pander to them. Because in the wide range of burlesque that I've experienced over these years and some really challenging, outrageous things, I know that the audience generally is willing to go on a journey with you. Mm -hmm. And generally, they're willing to have an experience that they might not be ready for in a way that's positive and beautiful. So I think that sometimes we want to make something that's more considered arty versus... um, some type of art we more might see more in the mainstream. Um, you know, sometimes there's this worry like, oh, will how will the audience react? Can I do this? And I think usually it's, yes, you can, you know, as long as it's still about entertaining them. Like whatever you're trying to get across or do for yourself, is it also about them? And so as we consider that in that energy exchange, I think that there's also an element relating to giving them an experience and... You know, something that you, when you asked me about the the changing face of burlesque um, over these years, burlesque historically has been risen up in times of economic distress. The Long Depression, the Great Depression, and our Great Recession are all times that burlesque has been big. Yeah. And I think that for one, you know, (laughs) as a nation, you're stressed out, (laughs) everyone's broke, and you want to step away from that, right, and be entertained. But also, I think it's really fascinating, because during the recession was when I quit my day job and started doing burlesque full time. And I'm not going to say that it was easy by any means. Um, I found a tax return from that time, and I'm not even going to tell you what it was, but it was shocking. I thought, how did I live (laughs) on that amount of income? But, um, But anyway, thinking about Despite that, people, they want to have a beautiful experience. They want to have a real live experience. You think of, okay, so aside from talking about economics, also we're in a modern time where CGI is so huge. There's all these virtual experiences we're able to have. And I think that now more than ever, people are really thirsting for a live entertainment experience. You know, circus is pretty big right now. Mm -hmm. You think of that being hand in hand with these burlesque movements or even drag and the outrageous elements of all these types of performances, the wow factor. Mm -hmm. Um, So we think of taking the audience on a journey, having an energy exchange with them and making magic, you know, and, and something to consider even simple moments. So I love to interact with the audience and I had a student, it was like a burlesque 101 course And she had been attending shows for a while before she took the class. And she told me about one time I had this little like feather clip and I, you know, took it off my hair and was wandering around and kind of like gently like swooshing people very gently and consent with consent with this feather. And it was just a fun moment, you know, lighthearted, no big deal. You know, here we are. And she told me later that um, I can't remember her exact words, but it was a really special moment. And it was magical for her in an unforgettable moment to connect 
and have that attention shown to her and be brought into the magic and the fantasy and the beauty of what we do. And so I don't know. I think that when we kind of get wrapped up into these elements of like, well, what do we have the best costume? You know, did I get into the festival? Uh, when's my next show? Um, <laughs> who, what's the latest gossip? All these things that people and all of us get consumed with sometimes with burlesque. I think that to me, it's just of the utmost importance to remember we exist because of our audience. Yeah. We're able to do it because of them and we're not doing it in a vacuum. And it's, just so, it's so special it's very special and powerful and important okay you mentioned a little bit ago that burlesque and showbiz is your life's work life's passion what helped you figure that out how did you figure that out that's such a good question um gosh I don't even know if I know the answer I think I mean I think like so many of us you discover this thing and you're like wow this is fun and you dive in and then suddenly it's all consuming right but I think that when I started, I was in my early 20s and, you know, not acutely miserable, but also not necessarily in the best place, you know, and, and like many of us at that age, figuring out what the hell I'm doing with my life. You know, who am I? And I think that I consider, say, the happiness that I feel now as an entertainer. And of course, I'm older and, um, you know, I think a lot of things shift with age and experience in life. But it gave me a purpose in a way that I didn't have. Um, and I have an art background. And so, you know, growing up, I did, you know, I went to art school. I did all the art classes. Um, my original trajectory as a young person was, I'm going to be a fine artist. And then I was going to be a photographer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then a professional writer, which happened for a chunk of time. But through all of that, the art that ended up kind of falling in my lap was burlesque in performance art, I think a lot about, say, the art training that I have. And I actually find so many burlesque dancers are have art backgrounds, mm-hmm. have backgrounds in writing, which is really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like every other day you see a little sketch that a burlesque dancer posts on Instagram and you're like, what? <laughs> you can draw? Yeah, everyone's got these amazing hidden talents. And, um, and so I think a lot about the way I'm able to channel those creative experiences into a new thing. So it's like, oh, I love color. I'm very color driven, which big surprise. But that in the ways that say I love to paint and combine colors or even drawing or the elements of precision when I was doing collage or photography and the way it translates to maybe movement on stage or doing a photo shoot, you know, it was a, it gave me a way to channel my art into something very purposeful. And I felt that once I kind of stopped actively doing art school stuff that I loved to create but I always kind of struggled with needing a purpose. Mm-hmm. So like maybe I would make art as a gift, but it was always hard for me to just sit down and be like, well, I'm going to draw, you know, I'm going to paint because I'm like, why? <laughs> you know, what's the purpose? So I think perhaps as we're talking through it, it was an, a way for me to dive into art and explore a side of myself. And yeah, like I said, it gave me purpose. And I know a lot of people have this experience Um And it's sort of, I think, hard to explain in a really, like, verbally, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, but um, I don't know, you know, I I, I don't really necessarily know the answer, but I think that um, as I kept doing it, that was all I wanted to do. And I think that I didn't intend to be a professional. I didn't intend for it to be my full-time job. You know, and I was fortunate to start touring relatively early on. I'd only been performing for a handful of years. And so I think that 
diving in deep into what it means to be a traveling entertainer, I was hooked. And I that's all I really wanted to do. Let's talk about touring. Yeah. So I know you have uh, L'Exotica mm-hmm. with the incredible Girl Haggard yes. and Dr. Roctagon. Mm-hmm. And you've toured extensively with L'Exotica. You've toured extensively on your own across Europe, across the United States and all of that. What truth and misconceptions do you want to uncover for our Pasty Tapes audience about touring as someone who's done it a lot for most of your adult life now? Yeah, I think at least eight years. Yeah. Maybe longer. Most of your burlesque career. Yeah. For sure. Well, oh my gosh, it's my favorite topic. You even have a class on it. I do. That may be coming to a city near you. Yes. Um, and I do teach, uh, yeah, I do tour life consultant things on the internet and one-on-one. Um, and I'm going to be teaching that tomorrow at the Detroit School of Burlesque. Very excited. Um, I love touring so much. Touring is not for the faint of heart. I lead every class with, so you want to tour, do you like to suffer? <laughs> wow. And people are, you know, and they always get to laugh, but I'm actually stone cold serious. I'm dead serious uh, that um, another thing I also joke about that's also very true is that the only glamour that happens on tour happens on stage. It's a very true fact. Touring is very rigorous. It's very tough. I love it to death, but it's not for everybody. And touring is something very specific. Um, Obviously, for those of us who love burlesque so much, it seems like a very alluring, splashy thing. Traveling showgirl, you know, hashtag. And it can be very exciting and you get to see the world, um, or you can. The realities are it's very expensive. Uh, There's a lot of long days in planes, trains, automobiles. You have to be very flexible and be ready for anything. So I think about me being fortunate about being able to tour very early on was that it was like this wild boot camp where today you can put me in any scenario and we're going to make it work. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been on every type of stage imaginable. imaginable. Um, I've had every kind of dressing room or not dressing room. One of my favorite stories about dressing rooms is um, once I was in a cast of about like 18 and we had a weird narrow electrical closet as our dressing room that had puddles in it and a sack of onions. Ooh, yum. (laughs) So sometimes the other week I did this private event and our dressing room was in a basement and they were so apologetic. They were like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. The basement was very clean. It was warm. It was very suitable. They put a rug down. It was lovely. And I was like, honey, you have no idea. This is like the Taj Mahal. I'm very happy. This is beautiful. You just never know what kind of situation you're going to be put in. And then, for example, like my work with L'Exotica Lounge Cabaret, I mean, we're a solely touring show. We don't have a home base. We just only tour. You know, that show, you are in a different city every night. And if I do my ultimate job as a producer, yes, every show Every night we have a show booked. Every once in a while you'll have a Monday off because it can be tricky to get a Monday show. But, you know, so it's very much a grind. And then you're doing it all all on low sleep, you know, so that idea of, you know, rooting, you know, so maybe you have like a 15 hour jump, which I try really, really, really hard to not do with Luxottica because Mm -hmm. I have the control (laughs) to try to create reasonable drives. But, you know, think about it. If you are in one city and the next city is X amount of hours away show ends at two maybe you get to bed at five after you load out if you have a long drive maybe you have to get up at eight in the morning you probably won't be able to stop for breakfast that means you're eating out of a gas station uh you're going to drive all day you're going to show up at the venue and then you're going to immediately start setting up for the show do your face 
hit it, and, you know, rinse and repeat. The glamour happens on stage. Yes. You know, and, and even as a challenge of routing, so like when I produce my touring show, I try really hard to make it as easy on us as possible and try to book regions and cities that are closer together so the drives aren't as long um, and try to be able to enter venues X amount of hours beforehand. But even that being said, you know, I do a lot of flexibility things on stage and being able to stretch out enough is a struggle, you know, yeah. or being able to control what you're eating or um, all of those things. Um, we stay at a lot of people's houses. I've stayed with a lot of strangers and I have a lot of wild stories. They're all fun stories now. Not all of them were great experiences at the time. Um, yeah, so it's just like a wild whirlwind of an experience. And um, I always like to say that you know, as far as like a true tour. So like you being here this weekend in Michigan, I love to call that a jaunt. Yes. You know, and um, because that's what it is. We're having a little jaunt. We're doing like a three-day thing. We're in different cities. But I think that like, say, a true tour is something very specific where it's like day upon day. We're going to different regions and maybe different states. You know, sometimes it can seem like, oh, yes, let's, let's, we're on tour, you know, but what does that mean? I don't know. It's it's really interesting to travel around. And so, for example, being from Michigan, you know, a lot of people are always like, oh, and granted, I am moving to a different state, um, but in moving to a showbiz town very soon here. But um, a lot of folks over the years have been like, oh, why don't you go to New York? Why don't you go to L.A.? Or even on tours talking about these kind of big cities, which I have toured through numbers of times on tour. Um, but that some of my most favorite shows of all time are around the Midwest or in a small town where people don't get to have shows like uh, burlesque. It's like the circus is coming to town. Yeah. You know, and so that's a pretty cool thing versus going to a town where there's maybe a million things every night or even Chicago. I work in Chicago all of the time uh, as a solo person. But like when I bring Luxottica to Chicago, it's tricky because there's so much going on. That regardless of the connections I have or my promotional prowess, you're just competing with a lot of other types of entertainment. Mm -hmm. You know, so there's that to consider. But I just think that, yeah, it's super magical to, you know, roll into some small town. You know, one time I played this strange VFW hall in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, you're giving people this wild experience that they might not have even known existed. Yeah. You know, um, a lot of times I'm performing for people who have never seen burlesque before. And I know that sometimes people like to have find it challenging. Like sometimes folks prefer performing to audiences that know about burlesque and they're like well-trained, which is helpful. Mm -hmm. If they know like, oh, now I clap. I see a titty. <laughs> Yay. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that's always great. That makes us feel good. Um, but I think that it's really cool to roll into town and people have no idea what to expect and they show up and you give them an experience and... Um, and then they're going to talk about it. You know, it's going to be a really special part of their day. Um, you know, or maybe they got called up on stage and something wacky happened. And then that's their exciting story, you know, on Monday at work. You know, those are the really special things. Or just getting to meet cool people, network, work with different performers. Um, you know, see parts of the country. And of course the joke as well is like, oh, wow, we get to see all these places. But if you're having a rigorous tour a lot of times, well... Oh, there's another Walmart. There's another fast food joint. Let me tell you about the venue that we played in and not, here's the sites that I saw. Right. Yeah. You know, versus, um, you know, and if you're lucky, maybe you get to see some, some local flavor. Um, and, and I have kind of a fun memory because, you know, my early days of touring um, 
we did have this big tour bus, which is ideal. Like the ideal scenario is, can you have a big bus that's made of beds and you can lay down and then someone drives Mm -hmm. and you literally can sleep while you travel. Like that's awesome. Um, And the minivan less so because you're kind of packed in. In that moment, you know, we had this wild bus and it was, you know, we would kind of graffiti the inside and it was our home on wheels. And I know that not everybody these days is aware of them, but um, if you think about those who know about Ken Kesey and the Merry Pranksters, and of this sort of uh, connected to the beat movement. So for those who know about Jack Kerouac and his kind of crew, you know, Ken Kesey wrote One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. So a lot of people know about him because of that. But anyway, he had this wild band of merry pranksters who are very much this conception of like the early days of people doing acid tests and all these fun things. And they drove around in this wild hippie bus and like we're videotaping everything and recording sound and taking photos. And one day we were driving through the desert in the middle of nowhere and I was laying down and the breezes were blowing in and it was hot as hell and we're half naked and everything's colorful around us inside the bus. And I thought, holy shit, I'm having this experience that I was so curious about as a young person reading about them in their kind of era. Um, And so that was kind of a special moment of early on in touring. I mean, like, wow, I'm doing the thing. I didn't even set out to do it, yet here I am, these maniacs, mm-hmm. you know, showing the locals a little bit of flavor. Being an ambassador of burlesque, of this art. Yeah. I find you to be very much connected to this region, and especially seeing your hometown, seeing Michigan with you has been so magical. And you're moving soon. You are moving to New Orleans mm-hmm. very soon. How did you decide on that city? How do you feel about the move What is that like for you? Yeah. um, Well, I love the Midwest with all my heart and soul. I think the Midwest is filled with a endless supply of badasses making the thing happen. You know, a lot of times people think, oh, big cities, that's where all the burlesque happens, you know, in a major level. But I'm like, oh, oh, sometimes the Midwest is underestimated because we're working hard and making beautiful art and... um, and and I've been very fortunate to the kind of circuit that I've developed over the years. You know, I'm in Chicago monthly. You know, I do a lot of cities in Michigan. I go to Indiana frequently, uh, and I have a lot of friends down there um, and elsewhere. I've lived here my whole life outside of a brief jaunt in the woods in Northern California, which is a whole other story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in my tours, I've spent a lot of time going to New Orleans, and I've tried to go as many times as I can each year. And Typically, I'll go for about a week at a time and just stack shows. Um, And the city is such a magical place. And of course, that's a common sentiment is, uh, you know, people go down there and and see the magic and the beauty in it. It's it's filled with so much culture and the city really, truly embraces entertainment and art in all of the various expressions. And it's really the only place that I've ever wanted to move. I've stubbornly lived in Grand Rapids, Michigan most of my life because I was waiting for a reason to leave. Wow. Being here, at least up until now with the gentrification and things, um, you know, I've been able to have a really lovely home. It's very affordable. Um, I've always kind of say, oh, well, I live in the Midwest here in this town. It is the second largest city in the state. I think sometimes people underestimate Grand Rapids for what it is. You know, I get to have low bills. Right. It's not like New York City rent. And then I get to travel the world and do my passion, do the thing, make my art, not have a day job, do this full time. But I'm just on the go so constantly. And so um, 
I finally came to a place where I thought, oh my gosh, why don't I follow that passion, look to my love for New Orleans, and take a moment to say yes to um, a big major life transition. And I also hate the winter with all my heart and soul. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was born in the wrong place. Um, and so I think that, you know, I've always said, oh, if I move, it would be a warm place. If I left the state, it would have to be warm. I would have to be able to do exactly what I do now. And that's a city where those things are true. I'm really excited to live in a city that embraces art to its fullest. In Grand Rapids, are the powers that be like to fashion our city as an art town. And there's a lot of art here, but our city does not support working artists. It's just a fact. And in order for, for me to do the job that I do full time, that means I work outside of my city a lot. And honestly, my kind of permanent tour life thing that's happening is because I need to pay the bills. And so I'm excited to move south and try to uh, work where I live more, continue to develop the tours that I'm doing, uh, develop Luxottica in some new and exciting ways. I have some big plans for that and connect with the south. Um, I'm so excited to spend more time in Texas, in Florida, and have kind of fun little jaunts and tours um, in a different part of the country more frequently. So yeah, I'm just really excited for this new chapter. And, you know, I do have friends down there and I'm excited to connect with them more fully, experience the type of showbiz that's down there in a different way. Yeah, and just dive in and keep doing the thing. And I'm really excited to see what unfolds. And I think it's gonna be a really cool thing. I'm so excited for you and for this journey in New Orleans. It's going to be so wonderful. I have one more question for you as we close out. Mm-hmm. Uh, this past spring, you had an all-orange show yes. in Indianapolis at the White Rabbit Cabaret. And I was fortunate enough to be a part of it when the show casting you know, application came out. I think Ethel Loveless and I got tagged in it so many times. And you know, behind the scenes, Ethel and I are like, ugh. Do people not know that we already know about this? Oh, yes. <laughs> but I know how I came to orange as my favorite color for burlesque. When I think of you, I think of orange and I think of color. And, you know, even Luxottica is so colorful. How did you come to orange as your color? Oh, my gosh. It's so funny. I've never thought about it. I think that, well, I'm a total Aries, so definite fire signs. So I love the warm colors. Yes. You were in Aries as well. We were born a day apart. I know. How exciting. Yes. Star-crossed. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Us March babies being powerful and loving orange. Um, I, I think that I came to orange by way of the powerful nature of it. Um, I love color so much. I'm very color driven. A lot of costumes and acts, I start with a color. It inspires me so much. Uh, it fills me with endless joy. My house is very colorful. I like to surround myself with vibrant things. Um, so I think that as I continued to swathe myself in vibrant colors and my acts got more and more technicolor, I think what I love about orange is it's the most flamboyant color. Absolutely. So, for example, I firmly believe that hot pink is a power color. And I love hot pink. Also, my favorite combo is like magenta and orange together. I love it to death. Um, But then orange is this additional extension of that. And you do see more orange today. And, you know, I kind of created the orange show out of my passion for orange and then seeing some friends around me and fellow performers bringing this beautiful color to the stage and thought, oh, my gosh, what if we brought everyone together? And I nearly lost my mind backstage when everyone was together all in orange. I was not prepared for how excited I would be (laughs) because that had never happened before. I was like, oh, my goodness, everywhere I look, orange. Yeah, I think it's just such an outrageous color. 
and you don't see it as much. And now you're seeing it more, but it's unusual. I just keep going back to it's outrageous. It's outrageous. It's flamboyant. It's loud. It's in your face. It's a look at me color, especially a bright orange. Absolutely. Um, Which is what we wear a lot of. Right. Very bright orange, vibrant colors. And um, it's splashy. And I think it's really evocative. So you think if it's an evocative of a type of energy that you're putting out there visually. And also, I really like to explore additional color aesthetics within burlesque you know um and so i think yeah just my trajectory and my journey <laughs> through the color palette you know led me to my ultimate of warm tones it's just fiery and beautiful and luscious and we should just all clad our beautiful nude bodies in swaths of orange yes so juicy vivacious miss audacious Thank you so much for chatting with me on the Pasty Tapes. I am so excited for this next chapter. Where can people find you on the internet? Oh my gosh, I am on all of your favorite or favorite to hate social media sites. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I have a website, MissAudacious.com. Um, and then I also do uh, online classes, uh, whether it's tour life, consulting. I do makeup classes, all kinds of fun things in that regard. Um, I love talking about touring and I'd love to talk about it more with you. So if you want to have a wonderful chat, um, you know, I can be reached at hello at missaudacious.com. Um, but yeah, I would love to hear from y'all. Thank you so much. Oh, Let's- thank you. This was so wonderful. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks again, Miss A. Funny thing, I think the day that this episode is dropping is a day that Miss A is going to be in town performing, so I should probably go out and see her. If you enjoyed hearing from Vivacious Miss Audacious, you're in luck. We'll be having her on the Pacey Tapes again very soon. This past fall, I had her interview her burlesque best friend, Girl Haggard. This episode featuring Girl Haggard being interviewed by Miss A will be dropping in the coming weeks, so stay tuned. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Pacey Tapes. Special thanks to the members of the Pacey Tapes fan club. You can join the Pacey Tapes fan club by visiting our website, thepaceytapes.com. As we mentioned at the top of the show, there are sponsorship opportunities available. To learn more, visit the website or send me an email at thepaceytapes at gmail.com. I would be totally over the moon if you hit that subscribe button, leave us five stars on Apple Podcasts, and tell all of your friends about the Pacey Tapes. Thank you so much again for listening to this podcast, for being on this journey with me, and for nominating me for Burlesque Top 50. I am completely honored and humbled by this. I am your host, Show My More, the steamiest Asian dumpling, and you can find me at Show My More across the internet. Thank you. I'll catch you in a few weeks, and I will talk to you soon. been listening to the pasty tapes a burlesque podcast by show my more the steamiest asian dumpling this is blanche debris saying thanks for listening and see you later ducklings you can see me live and in person across the u.s and across the border over the next few months from february 13th through the 16th i will be in minneapolis on february 14th i am performing in electrocutes pink and white ball at lush On Friday, February 21st, I am performing in Chicago at the Newport Theater in Jezebelli's Essence of Glamour. On March 6th, I will be performing 
at the White Rabbit Cabaret in Front Row Paul's Burlesque Bonanza. And there's a few dates in March that I can't announce yet. And then in April, I will be making my international debut on Saturday, April 4th at the Vancouver International Burlesque Festival. For more information or for tickets, visit my website at showmymore.com.